Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey and this is High Performance, the award-winning podcast that reminds you that it's within. As always, hello and thank you to all of our listeners right across the world who tune in to us every week so that we can be your armour, be your partner, be your guide in a world that so often feels negative, divisive and confused. Look, we want these conversations to remind you of your power, of your potential and what you're capable of. So right now, allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to unlock the mind of a Premier League footballer who's had the most incredible season. Today, this awaits you. There was one moment in my career where I didn't really want to play anymore and I'll never forget it. I was living in in Barnsley on my own in an apartment and mum drove up and yeah, she just sat me down and just made me realise what they've sacrificed. That was a tough three three or four months that I I didn't really speak to my wife about it. Even she realised the the negativity in the stadium that I was getting, which was tough. It was tough to take. So let's talk about going from Sean Dyche as own manager to Maurizio Pochettino as your manager. Shock. Went on holiday to Cancun, come back thinking I was in good nick. Next minute I'm in the fat club. And that's when I knew this is different. With Simeone, I don't think he could ever manage in England just purely because he was so passionate and the emotion from him was so high. You know, you're just like ready to go to war for him. I have no regrets, even though I could have been playing in the championship. I didn't have no relegation clause. I took less money. I took a gamble. Having that team who are all on the same page, who want to pull in the right direction, who might not be as talented as your opposition, I'll take that all day over talent. Players like myself want to play Champions League football again. I've had the taste of it for a good number of years and if we brought that back back here, I dare to think what it would be like, this city, this club in the Champions League. So today we welcome Kieran Trippier to the High Performance Podcast. Kieran has had an incredible career. He will talk over the next hour or so about what it was really like when Roberto Mancini told him that he didn't have a future at Manchester City. And as a teenager, he was sent home on a plane alone to deal with that news. Um, He will talk about the day that he almost quit football. And it was his mum who turned up at his house and said, Kieran, you need to carry on. Look at the sacrifices that the people around you have made for you to have a career in the game. He will then discuss what happened when he went to Burnley under Eddie Howe and then Sean Dyche. His stories about Sean Dyche as his manager are incredible, as are his lessons about his career at Tottenham. That's also really moving. Kieran openly reveals just how hard it was for him at Tottenham and just how difficult it is so often for footballers who are in the public eye. I've never heard Kieran open up anywhere about the kind of struggles that he had, how he dealt with them and what he learned from them. And by the way, what he has to say about Newcastle United and you amazing Newcastle fans is also pretty cool. So let's do it. Here we go. Kieran Trippier on the High Performance Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So uh, what do you believe high performance to be, Kieran? Yeah, I think it's, you know, challenges throughout your, your life on and off the pitch. I've certainly had them in my career. Yeah, this is about giving everything, never, never, never giving up. Um, going back to when I was at City, for example, and, you know, never making it there. And it's about how you react and how you bounce back from from setbacks. And I've took the long route, but I'm, I'm happy. I, know I wouldn't change anything. Well, should we start there then? Yeah. So you're at Manchester City. You've got dreams of making the first team like everybody else. When and how did you realise that that wasn't going to be your path? Um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to have a great uh, youth set up um, and train with the first team and I didn't realise how, how tough it would be playing at the top where you'd see the top players, you know, Bellamy and the careers that he's had and the players there. But yeah, I think it was difficult because he had Zabaleta and, and Micah Ridgett at the time. So I knew it was always going to be difficult and I think it's when I went Barnsley at first on loan and as soon as I got the taste of playing week in, week out in the championship and that's what I sort of uh, wanted, you know, and then the new manager came in, Mancini at the time from um, Mark Hughes. And yeah, from then on, they started buying every player. And yeah, I, kn I knew then it was going to be very difficult for me. So how was it dealt with? Like, when is the moment that you realise you're going? I think it's more pre-season. I think I went on tour in America with um, with Man City at the time. And we went to two different states. And then next minute, the manager basically, uh, Mancini at the time, said, oh, we don't need... Uh, there was me and there was two other players so then we had to fly back and I just felt then as a young boy you know traveling with the first team it's you know, I was sad I was devastated because then I had to fly back with the the other two lads at the time who was my age and I sort of knew then like really I'm never gonna make it how old were you I was only about I think 17 18 at the time but we've recently seen in the media, like Trent Alexander-Arnold is doing a lot of work in this space for kids that have been let go from the academy scheme and often feel the life's at an end and the statistics of making it as a footballer. I think Michael Calvin speaks about it. it's 0.019%. So how did you put yourself in that category of being able to be in that, that tiny percentage of people that do process that and still manage to forge a career? Just having that belief really and having my older brother there who, who played in the football league and again he's had difficult moments when he played and I always believed in myself from from when I worked in the academy with Jim Cassell, Steve Ayres and people like that. Um, I had good guidance and yeah it's just all about getting on the bike again and, and, and going again really. So you then go to Barnsley? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Give us an idea of what the next challenge in your life yeah. is which is forget about the trappings of the beautiful lifestyle at Manchester City, you're now going to go play at Barnsley. Like, what did that teach you that you just couldn't learn when you were at City? I think it was a tricky period, that, because um, I was young, I moved away from home, um, you know, playing with Darren Moore, made my debut next to him, Middlesbrough away. So, 
yeah there was a lot of challenges really um like i said professionalism at the time when i was so young that wasn't great if i'm going to be honest with you in what way what do you mean Just, by that? i was young lad i was living in a hotel with two other lads um maybe going out too much when i was young going from you know a yts on 95 pound a week to a little bit more say like 300 thinking you're the big man you know what i mean but yeah like i said you know you learn off that can you remember one bit of advice from that period where you maybe sat down with someone and they laid it on the line and it had an impact on you i think it, there was one time where my mum came um because again i was young i was, I was on more money and you know, I, I was doing silly things like going out drinking and, and stuff like that. And there was one moment in my career where I didn't really want to play anymore. And I'll never forget it. I was living in, in Barnsley on my own in an apartment and my mum drove up and yeah, she just sat me down and just made me realise what they've sacrificed, you know. And, you know, every day, Monday to Saturday, me and my brother, because we, we didn't really grow up as a a wealthy family, you know, um, my mum and dad have worked so hard to get us in the position we're in today. So I think that was the one moment in my career where I really realised, you know, how much it meant to my mum. And that was definitely a turning point for me. And why didn't you want to play anymore? I don't know. It was just more like being alone at 18 in Barnsley. Um, I know it's not far away from Berry, but it, yeah, when you're so young and at the time I didn't really have that as you do now, where uh, teams have people who support you and stuff like that and help you manage certain situations. So I think that moment when my mum came really, really helped me. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because all we see in the world of football is the big games under the bright lights mm. and the nice cars and the nights out and the great salaries. But, you know, you're 18 years old at this point and you've already kind of had to hold your own in the Manchester City Academy, mm. failed there, been sent back on a flight on your own from the States. I mean, that's a lot for a 17-year-old to process. Mm. Then join a, a football club at a completely different level and then be on your own and then not treat yourself properly and then want to maybe quit the game and your mum's had to come and remind you yeah. of actually how far you've come. This is all before the age of 18. And this is, I think, the side of football that is never really spoken about, is it? No, definitely not. And Again, I go back to when I was in the youth team and I've seen so much quality in, in my youth setup. And I think there's only about four of us who have, who have made a career out of that team. And it's scary, really. And I think looking back, I don't think the, the support system was really there in place for, for players. And did you ever have a plan B for what for what you would do if football didn't materialise? Not really, because I weren't really the cleverest in school, if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I always believed that I could make it. Um, but again, it's about having that dedication and that professionalism to try and get in the position that I'm in today. So just remind me, Eddie Howe bought you at, yeah. at Burnley and then Sean Dyche yeah. came in. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you smile when I mention that name? No, he's just a great guy, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, he loves you. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, and I guess the feeling's mutual. It is. However, he did describe you on our podcast as a butterball when he first arrived at the club. Like, So I think even though you feel you were more professional at this point, I, I wasn't. Mate, no. <laughs> I was still, I was better than what right. I was. Right. Okay. So Sean Dyche comes in, yeah. very high standards, yeah. fitness is vital for him. How did he go about turning you into the player that he wanted you to be? Lifestyle. I think what I was eating, what I was drinking, stuff like that. There was a story, I don't know if he told you about when I was in a local restaurant and he just came in as manager and then uh, I seen him walk through the doors and I was just like, oh, no way. And then he came over and luckily I was drinking a Coke. <laughs> and then he came over and smelt my drink and then <laughs> just smiled and then walked off and said, I'll see you tomorrow. So 
Yeah, I was lucky really in that moment. Eyes everywhere all the time. There is, there is. So we've heard from him about how he creates culture at a football club. When we talk about Sean Dyche, the manager, what is the one story from that period where he first arrived at Burnley that made you realise, oh wow, okay, this is going to be interesting? It was his first meeting because he, he had like a, a projector with all these rules. And then obviously it was like, uh, you have to train with shin pads on. So straight away we knew, right, we're, we're in for it here. And just all his principles and his rules and, you know, he's a big believer in like, leave your egos at the gate and, and stuff like this. And, you know, the togetherness, the, the, the way he wants these teams to set up, you have to run or you don't play for him. And that's when we realised really like, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough this. But he was brilliant for everybody. The way, he, if nobody was playing, they weren't, you know, dr- down tooling or anything like that. He proper sorted everyone out and, and that's what we needed in that time. And your relationship with him was quite special. When, when did you first realise that the two of you had like a, a nice affinity? He, he, what did he say to us? There's n- I don't offer special rules to anyone apart from drips. That was his, that <laughs> was that his line. Said, yeah, <laughs> mate, he was a son. Nah, the, the gaffer was brilliant. I think it, me personally, he helped me out massively with, he believed in me a lot, as, as all other coaches did, but he really was, he's really the one where, he believed in me where I could take my, my game to the next level and he, he really um, sorted me out on and off the pitch. He, he really took care of me. He was tough with me, but in a good way. And, you know, looking back, that was that played a big part of my career. How did he do it though when you say he gave you that belief? Like, how? He's, he's like a magician. <laughs> no, he just had the arm around you, you know, just... It was. It would recognise certain moments when you you weren't yourself. That was, that was another good thing about him. The right times when to give you the rollicking when you needed it or put an arm around you. Um, and again, that's why I said he's a is a really good man manager. What was the difference between like for lay people like us that have never played? What would you say is the big difference between going from the Championship to being in the Premier League? I think in the Championship, I think if you give certain possession away in certain areas, you can maybe get away with it. You know, uh, in the Premier League, when we played Chelsea the first game, we went 1-0 up and then Chelsea just, you know, Fabregas, you know, the players like, you know, Costa then just switched it on and then next minute you're 3-1 down and it's so clinical and the pace is so much faster than the Championship. So, yeah, it's totally different. It's totally different than Champ. And I think that year we got promoted as well. I think we sound like three players on a free and I think we got written off to get relegated as well. So, Sean Dyche deserves huge credit for what he did for that football club. Lovely. So do you. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> but nothing lasts forever. No. And eventually Spurs come calling. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, um, I think at the time where, uh, before, when we got promoted, I only had a year left on my contract at Burnley and I could have left on a free, but um, yeah, Sean Dyche ended up uh, asking me to sign a new contract, which I did. And then, yeah, we got relegated and, and then Tottenham come, come calling and I didn't have to think twice, to be honest with you, because I've had the opportunity to play European football. Is it one of those things where you couldn't remember the the very moment that you first heard of their interest, where you were, what you were doing? Yeah, um, it was like, I can't remember who we played, I think it was West Ham at home. Uh, it was around about that time, I think like three games to, to the end of the season, I heard the interest and... Um, How did you hear it? Well, I was speaking to, to Walks, funnily enough, as well, when we played Tottenham right. at home and he said a few things to me and yeah, and then that's when I sort of, I, I was hearing the interest and then end of the season came and then yeah, I ended up at Tottenham. It's interesting. Rio Ferdinand says this is like Sir Alex Ferguson used this trick all the time. If he knew that a footballer was mates with someone else that he wanted to buy, yeah. he'd be like, just go and have a word. Just tell them how great this place is. No, and that's how true. Much, that's how true. much we love That's them. true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. Can you remember what he said? What was the... 
No, he was just basically saying the manager's been asked about you a couple of times and stuff like this. Um, it wasn't anything like, yeah, yeah, would you want to come to Tottenham or anything? It was just more... Don't worry, there's no tapping up story coming out of this. Stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> being honest with you, it was just, just more like uh, the manager asked, you, asked about you and, you know, it was good to hear, but... What questions do you ask going back the other way? So I get, I, like, I, I get it's flattering that the manager's yeah. asking about you, but what questions are you asking? Is this the right environment for me? To be honest with you, I, I didn't really think it was going to happen at the time because I was at Burnley. Tottenham was a big club. Um, and I, I didn't think it would happen, if I'm going to be honest with you. But yeah, I, at the time, I didn't really ask him any questions about the club or, or anything like that because I didn't think it was possible that I'd go to Tottenham. And yeah, as I said before, like when the season ended, it happened so quick. How quick? playing about two weeks, three weeks. That's when stuff was getting agreed and but I was on holiday and stuff like that at the time. And are you the sort of person that wants assurances about playing? No, for, for me back then, it was just more, you know, Tottenham are interested. I have the opportunity to play European football. So for me, it wasn't about being first choice because I knew I wasn't going to be, if I signed for Tottenham, because obviously Walks was there. Yeah. But that's going to be the first time since Barnsley that you're going to have to move away from Manchester. You're going to have to be living away from home. Yeah. Was that a concern for you? Not then, really, because I, I, the, my wife, who was my uh, girlfriend at the time, she moved down with me. So that was a massive, um, massive thing for me at the time to, when I got out of my area, because uh, my wife's been a massive part of my life and my, and my career. So, yeah, that, that was a big part. How long have you guys been together? Uh, since I was about 18. What is it that she offers you that does allow you to go and perform? Again, somebody to speak to if I'm feeling down, uh, which there has been throughout my career just to support really you know i have someone there who's fully behind me with whatever decision i make she's there to support me 100 percent. so and she's been a key part of my of my life really so let's talk about going from sean dyche as a manager to maurizio pochettino as your manager yeah first impressions shock <laughs> big shock if i'm honest with you um went on holiday to cancun come back thinking i was in good nick next minute i'm in the fat club <laughs> And right? I was in the uh, altitude chamber, yeah. Uh, there was a couple of us and I, was, I thought I was, you know, my weight was good. And then, no, no, I was straight in the chamber after every session. And that's when I knew this is different. And who delivered that news to you? It was uh, Azus, his uh, assistant manager. Yeah, um, Azus Perez, yeah. Yeah, so that was probably the first week with just looking at, um, I, I, the longer I got there, just looking at how all the other players conducting themselves really, you know, we had, Obviously, Lloris, Harry Kane at the time, and Jan Vertonghen, Toby. So it was it was a shock, really. Yeah. Right. So this is interesting. What is it that those players are doing that you maybe hadn't seen in your career? And that's not to say that the guys you were playing with before weren't yeah, yeah. professionals, but this is the elite level now. Yeah. I think what time they're in. You know, when I arrived, they were, they were already finished the gym, for example. Especially, certainly, Harry. What they was eating off the field as I, as I was there longer, I, you know, I got really close to a few of them and what they were doing off the field. And yeah, that, that was that was a shock for me personally because of where I came from, the the culture that I came from and to, to the new culture at Tottenham. And obviously you've come from Burnley, right? So, you know, you hadn't signed from Man United or Real Madrid. You weren't coming in as a guaranteed starter necessarily. Can you give us an insight into how you carried yourself, conducted yourself, how you trained in that first training session of how you chose to speak to those other players on the first day? Yeah, well, I was, I was close with Walks. I knew him from the youth setup with England, so he, he really took care of me there. Um, but I think it was just like, just enjoy yourself, just em and embrace it, try and do as well as you can. Um, going back, I know I weren't going to be first choice, but it was just like conducting myself in the right way and 
just learning really because I was still I was about 25 at the time I think I was um, but yeah just learning off the other players with how they prepare for training and everything on and off the field really and was there one thing you saw from another player where you thought I'd never even thought about that, that I'm adopting that now that's how I'm going to operate day to day I can only speak on Harry Harry Kane's behalf really because he's probably one of the most professional players I play with if I'm honest and just the way he is from when he arrives through the building to going in the gym, doing extras, again, eating eating the right things and, the you know, the recovering. And yeah, I used to watch him a lot when I was there because obviously it was Harry Kane, weren't it? So, yeah. Would Harry deliver news to you if he didn't think you were pulling your weight or playing well enough? Yeah. And how would he do that? He'd pull you to one side, maybe. Not in like an aggressive way. He was just trying to help. You know, because he, he wanted the best. He wanted the, everyone to train the best possible way, really. Um, yeah, so he, he was doing it in a good way, H. H is a good guy. <laughs> it's interesting though, isn't it? Because we've only spoken to one guest on high performance who said to us, there's a difference between high performance and elite performance. And it feels like you've gone from a high performing environment to an elite yeah. environment. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Because obviously playing at Tottenham was was the elite. You know, you was playing, I was in the Europa League at the time and then obviously the Champions League. So... You play with fully internationals. I weren't playing with internationals at Burnley. You know, when internationals used to go off, I think there was only five of us at Tottenham's training ground training with the young lads. So um, that says everything about the the different mindset and the challenges that I had to overcome, really. When we interviewed uh, Maurizio, he, he spoke about the, the message that John McDermott had given him about in any culture, you've got that FIFO effect. You either fit in or yeah. you fuck off. <laughs> How, and he said that was very much his mindset of what he, he had. So I'm interested that you've come from Burnley. How much of it is being explicit that you're being inducted into it of Kieran, this is, you need to be in at this time, you need to be do, eating this food. And how much of it is just you expected to either wise up yourself or we'll just find a way we'll get someone to replace you? Yeah, of course. It has to come from in yourself to, to be in on time. You can't be late because... Pochettino was was mad on that if he was late and he would know as well so if you tried to walk in and thinking and you was late and you said you was on time you have people ticking you off every time you you come in what time you arrived in and why was that significant I just think you know you there's no reason to be late it was strict but in a good way can we talk about Energia Universal as he describes it universal energy this belief he has that everyone carries an energy about them and he can feel the energy either by having his hand on you or holding onto your hand or your shoulder or something like that. Do you remember that first time you sort of realised how him and Jesus operate? Yeah, there was obviously those times when, you know, you shake his hand and stuff like that. And um, there was one moment where I just got carried away and somebody said something, I think, and then he squeezed my hand and no looked me in the eyes. Um that's when I really shit myself. Really, <laughs> I thought I did. I knew then that moment as well. This is this is real. He told us that he used to sit there and watch the players walk in in the mornings, and yeah. he would sort of gauge just by looking at you. He would say to us, "Oh, I could tell whether they've slept well, had an argument with their partner, and if I felt they weren't right, I would tell them you're not training today." Yeah, it's funny you say that because you know it's, it's like he knew everything about you. It's like he, I don't know, like he had cameras everywhere. He just knew if he was you didn't sleep well or he'll just know if you're in a bad mood and and it, it, again he was a good man manager he knew when to pull you in when, when not to when to speak to you when not to speak to you so but yeah it was it was like a magician at times can we talk about the biggest game of your career so far the champions league final do you have 
fond memories of the fact that this guy that got released by Man City ended up at Barnsley almost quitting the game, got to a Champions League final? Or do you not like revisiting it because you didn't win? Oh, so, um, of course, I'd, I'm disappointed that we didn't win it, but I'm just really proud of the way my journey's gone, if I'm honest with you, from what you just mentioned then to a Champions League final. I never thought for one second I'd be playing in a Champions League final. So to reach it the way that we did reach it, um, it was always a special moment, but you know, I think the first first five minutes killed the game really in that, in that final. When you think back to that run to the final, what is the moment that that springs to mind for you? I think, um, there's so many. I think, <laughs> it was being crazy. honest with you, I think the City game, when I think it was Raz who scored in the last second and then he was he was offside. Then uh, Llorente scored, Llorente scored, but then obviously the Ajax, when yeah, we was 3-0 uh, no down with 45, 40 minutes to go and Lucas scores his hat-trick. So. But what's and, been said at half-time in that game, Kira? I think there was, yeah, the fireworks going off, to be honest with you. Um, H said a few words, uh, the manager did. And again, I, I, I don't even know, to be honest with you, it, just, it was just crazy that last 35 minutes or something. Um, yeah, it was just having that belief, you know, got nothing to lose now, we're three no down. Yeah, we forget one, try and get another and then get another. It's easy saying that, but could you remember the messages in in there at halftime? Like what was the what were they saying? Because it's overall ranting and raving, play better, but but that's not helpful in those moments, is it? No, I can remember. Uh, I've, you know, I, I I don't think Harry will mind me saying this, but I've I've not seen Harry go mad really in a, in, in his career, but he, he really wasn't happy because I, I think because he weren't playing as well because he was injured at the time, and yeah, he, he weren't happy, but he didn't say anything in a negative way. It was all positive, but it just seeing him me personally just seeing him and you know how he would dealt with it and the way he spoke to certain players in a good way of course I think that helped me a little bit yeah he's a really positive minded player H I think the really interesting th- the two interesting things there the first one is that he's injured right yeah so it'd be very easy for him in that moment not to be a leader and go well I'm injured so I'm just yeah. going to step back and not get involved in this because this is going to be a disaster we're going to lose this 5-0 and it won't involve me you know self-preservation yeah. that's the first thing he chose not to do that the second thing is like you said it's, I've very rarely seen him act like this. Mm. Choosing your moments to deliver hard truths to people okay. is one of the key tenets to true high performance and true leadership. And it feels like, of course he won't mind you saying this, because this is a guy that got it right in the moment when it really mattered, you know? And his leader is so an important player for club and country, and I've been lucky enough to, to represent that with him. Harry is, you know, sometimes quiet and stuff, you know, but... When he does speak, you just you sit there and you listen. What did Maurizio say? Do you, do you remember in the dressing room afterwards what what he said that was pertinent and sticks in the memory? Not really, to be honest with you, because in that moment, probably I knew my time was up then anyway. Really? Why? No, I, I, I knew probably two months before that my time was probably coming to an end at Tottenham anyway. So, so for me, it was just more about. There were certain moments during the second half. Of this, I went one. I weren't performing well anyway. I knew that. Yeah. Um, I was struggling with my groin when I needed surgery, um, which I had done when I was in Madrid. But I don't think he really said much to me as the manager after the game. It was just, yeah, we, you know, I was down. Everyone was quiet, of course, and we just got out of the stadium as quickly as possible. And how did you know that your time at Spurs was coming to an end? Just obviously football. It's it's a small world, isn't it? You you hear things from from people and you know people who who, who, I, who I know and who I trust and yeah this is football you know 
What the, the you got the message that you're not in Maurizio's plans? Is that no? It wasn't necessarily weren't in his plans, but it was just more um, maybe my time was coming to an end where they might wanted to sell me or. But listen, you know, if players come and go, managers come and go. This is football, you know. It, I didn't, I didn't dwell about it when I heard about certain things. Maybe some of them was weren't really true. Maybe they were. See, but that really interests me because I, I, I think that in life in general, in any culture, that like the way that you're inducted to the way you enter a culture is important, but also the way you exit it mm. is important for other people that see it. You know, like, have, the, have you been handled fairly? Have you been treated with respect and dignity and all those other factors? And you you were describing really powerfully the man management of someone like Mauricio and how you had that relationship and they could tell you the truth. And yet I'm surprised that the ambiguity around this exit of hearing rumours rather than somebody coming in and having that kind of honest conversation with you. Yeah, but I think from obviously the, the 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 media was speculating a lot at the time and stuff like that but and when I weren't performing well and I, I've said that plenty of times my my last few months at Tottenham I wasn't um and obviously hearing things it it didn't help of course it didn't but I tried to block it out but again it, it wasn't the right time to speak to anybody you know the manager or the club because I was going through such a big moment in the club's history you know we had City at the time and then Ajax and then obviously the final. So it was just more about, okay, no problem. I'll just come back in pre-season and then just have a, have a, have a chat with the manager and see see what things are going. I think actually that's quite a healthy mindset to have in this game. Yeah. Because like one of the skills, I think, to operating in the football world is to realise actually how little control you've got. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Because you, you don't really have much control, really, if I'm honest with you. You get well paid. The life is great. You play a lot of football, but the truth is, it's if not a manager, all about that, though. You know, of course it is. And I, yeah. and I, I can see when someone says that, you see every time the heckles on a footballer's net come up. It's frustrating, isn't it? That that is the stick that every footballer gets beaten with. It's almost like we can treat people how they want. The media can write what they want. The yeah. fans can go on social media and say whatever they want because they get well paid. I mean, that's from the conversations we've had. That's almost the biggest permanent frustration of everybody. No, I, I get it. You know, from people on the outside that. You know, players get paid well and they get they have these houses, cars or whatever it may be. But behind it, when, you know, they're not going for a good moment in football. Um, like for me, the last few months at Tottenham was was so, so hard for me. You know, I was getting you know, stick from the Tottenham fans and, and stuff like that. You know, this is football. They pay, pay their well-earned money to come and watch and they expect better. But it's tough. What players have to go through behind the scenes is really hard. You know, social media plays a part when a player doesn't perform and then next minute it's all over social media and you're getting memes about you and stuff like that. And mentally it's hard. It's really tough because social media is so powerful these days. And, you know, a lot of my friends have had it over the past two, three years. And it's, you know, as a, as a friend, it's not nice to see. So, and I get that in terms of the noise from people that pay the money and think they can say what they want. But what would you advise a manager that might be listening to this, whether it's in sport or not, about how they can sort of turn down the noise and help you. So what, like, what would you have needed in those last few months at Spurs that maybe, like, you're having a tough time. Yeah. You don't need somebody creating more uncertainty or ambiguity for you. What would you have needed? Well, it's difficult because at the time I was still getting picked, even though I weren't really performing well. There were certain moments when I was giving the ball away and I can always remember when I, Wembley when I gave the ball away, Marcus scored. So things weren't going my way. What um, were you thinking in that moment? It was tough. It was, um, 
every little mistake I scored an own goal against Chelsea it was a great finish to be honest but uh, <laughs> but no again but it is something it's hard. Life, it does feel doesn't it like how many more things can go wrong yeah here? week after like, week honestly there were certain moments where yeah I was even giving the ball away and they were scoring and nothing was going for me and, and that was tough I'm not one of them players to say to a manager take me out of the team because I think that's um, backing out really you know giving up um, would it have helped in hindsight maybe but I think that's where the manager maybe you know maybe if he took me out I wouldn't have had any complaints but yeah that, that's that's for the manager to decide but obviously he's still picking me so I still have to go out there and give my best Can um, if you're happy to be vulnerable I know in sport often people don't want to be vulnerable because they think that it's like seen as a weakness I think we're hopefully getting to the point in 2023 where people realise it's a strength of a leader to be vulnerable yeah. so there were people that are watching this thinking, oh, it's a meme on Twitter. It's a comment on Twitter. It's a, something I'm just yelling about you or your family from the stands. Don't take it to heart. Be braver. Be Maybe not for you because you've been through it and hopefully you've come out the other side. But for other young lads that are starting out in the game or even for the people that are putting these things on social media. Yeah. What does it really do? No, mentally, especially for, for young players these days, you know, it's so powerful because if they make a mistake in a certain game, let's say a, a big game, and then they, they're getting called all loads of names on, on the social media, because young players check social media these days, that's normal. But then when they see the negative part of it, it mentally that's so bad and it can affect a, a young player so much because um, maybe they don't feel comfortable coming out speaking to anybody like I didn't many years ago when I was at Barnsley. So it's just having that balance and again, having the right people around you because social media is powerful these days. What, good and bad. What was the real world impact on you in that time at Tottenham? Are we talking about not sleeping, you know, tears? Everything, sound, no, you know? It's everything really. It's just um, when I know I weren't performing well, you know, and I, when I said before that I speak to my wife about everything, I didn't speak to her because that, that was a tough for three or four months that I, I didn't really speak to my wife about it. Why not? I don't know. I felt embarrassed really a little bit because I weren't performing, do you know what I mean? And even she realised the the negativity in the stadium that I was getting, which was tough. It was tough to take. The last question on this, what would you say to people that send those tweets and think this only a tweet is harmless, it's mm. just a message, like deal with it? No, I just think obviously, think about the impact it could have on that individual really and you know, you, you sometimes we we don't realise what certain people are going through behind the scenes if, away from football, you know. Um, people could be going through a lot of stuff at home with their families or whatever and then they're having this extra negativity at them and it, it can it can mentally, you know, hurt them a lot. So I'll just, just say that, like, just try and, yeah. you know, be careful what you say. Did you... Seek any help, any therapy, any psychologist? No, any, not really. No. no, yeah, just speaking to my wife all the time or family members. Um, this challenging period, did that play into the design not just to move, but to move abroad? Not really. Um, I don't think Daniel probably wanted to sell to anyone else in England, if I'm honest. But, um, <laughs> Again, no control. No control, <laughs> like, yeah. So when do you get the news that you're not just leaving Tottenham, you're leaving and you're going abroad, make sure your passport's up to date, off you go. Yeah, it was a, it was a strange one really because Ancelotti was manager of Napoli and my deal was done there. I had a good conversation with him on the phone. My wife went out with my mum and her mum to have a look at the city and um, look at schools and 
to be fair, my wife didn't really like it. And then, yeah, Atletico Madrid came in out of nowhere. and So you, you turned Napoli down because no, like your wife had- Yeah, and obviously then th- there was talk of Ancelotti leaving Napoli and that was right. one of the big reasons why I wanted to go there as well to play for him. And yeah, that didn't happen. And then, yeah, out of nowhere, I got a call from the agent saying, Atletico Madrid want to sign her. So I said, let's get it done. Let's go. See, when I look back at that period when we were doing the research for this, like the thing I'm intrigued about this period of your life is the idea of cognitive overload. And what I mean is that you've got so many things competing for your attention. You've got, you go into a new league yeah. where you don't speak the language. You've got a demanding coach. You've got other issues going on at that time yeah. um, in your, in your career. You've got a wife who needs to move <laughs> house, children that need to find a school, yeah. find a house to live in. And that's tough as well. Like, as yeah, a, like I was breathless yeah. when I was reading it thinking, fucking hell, like how did you cope with that? To not only go in and get a place in the team, but to end up winning La Liga as well. Yeah, it's tough and, you know, maybe fans, when you have to move countries and that's why, just just going back a little bit, I've, that's why I have so much respect for the foreign players that come to England because, you know, I, I'd play one of them thinking, oh, how's he not settled in, you know, and stuff like this. But I realise how tough it is when I went to Spain, my wife was finding it really hard the first six months. And there's so many factors in that. And that's why I have so much respect for all the players who come here and live so many years in the English Premier League. And, you know, hats off to them because it's, it's, it's hard. You know what? It's one of the big challenges for me is that the more I have these sorts of conversations, the more I struggle with my other job of being a football presenter. Because, you know, I'm the guy that has to stand there with ex-players going, He's played nine games in the Premier League and hasn't scored, having yeah. arrived from Argentina or something like. No, definitely. And listen, I was only two out two hours away from uh, from England when I lived in Spain. But these boys, you know, from Paraguay, Argentina, Brazil, it's it's a long way, yeah. and some of them they're here alone. And um, mentally, for them, obviously, if they're not performing in the Premier League, if they've come for a big fee, and then the media get tough with them, and then social media as well, and that can have a big big impact. There's so many players over the years in the Premier League who have probably not performed to the levels that they should have. But what what happens behind the scenes is it's really hard. And I can only go off my experience in Spain where, again, I didn't know the language when I first went there. And I was always thinking about, is my wife okay? Is my children okay? So that was tough. So tell us, how do you actually deal with that? How do you compartmentalise? You know, I've got to leave my wife and kids now. Yeah. and I've got to go in and I've got Diego Simeone and his assistants. <laughs> putting you through what is yeah. regarded as commonly some of the most brutal yeah. physical sessions. You're trying to integrate with lads where you don't speak the language. How on earth do you cope with that, that people listening to this could maybe facing their own challenges learn from? Yeah, so when I when I first went there, we went to the, the States for pre-season and then went to Mexico. So I was away for quite a long time. And to be fair, my, my, my wife handled it really well, even though it was tough for her in certain moments, in certain situations, she... she she tried to make an effort with um, other players' wives who maybe spoke a little bit of English, like Murata's wife spoke a bit of English and stuff like that. He was a big help for us and my family. For me, I weren't really bothered because I like testing myself. I like testing you know, my mental state and stuff like that. And yeah, as soon as I heard about it, I was like, let's go full throttle. Like, I love we'll that. Pack our bags, let's go. We're going to spam. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about Diego Simeone. So we've gone from <laughs> Mark Mancini to Mark Robbins. Yeah. Mark Robbins to Eddie Howe to Sean Dyche to Maurizio Pochettino. And then Diego Simeone. Yeah, he's different. Um, <laughs> he's different, certainly. Um, In what way? Everything. I think the way you see him on the touchline is um, that's just how he is in training. I know it's. I'm not making that up. That's just how he is. Before every game, you'll see him for like 40 minutes, just storming up and down the corridor, just looking down at the floor for literally about 40 minutes. I don't know what he's thinking about. But as a manager, he's unbelievable, incredible. Explain how and why. So basically, if you don't run, you're not going to play for him, regardless of how much it costs, how good you are. If you don't run for him, you don't play. Simple as that. The respect that he has from not just the players that play and that don't play as well, it's I mean, it's like I've never seen anything like it before. The, the, the idolising there is incredible to see. How does that manifest itself? Just the way man manages all the players, the way he, he's just so clever, the way he picks and choose when to pull players out to put players in and when they're not playing puts an arm around them um, the freedom it gives you when you when you play for the club yeah it was mad do you, do you remember what he said to you like what was your induction from him the first meeting with him what got said he don't really speak English to be honest with you but um, so did you have a translator then or did yeah he... we had uh, Burgos he's called he's, um, he's right on man he was brilliant he's got that fearsome reputation is yeah, that right he's Burgos and uh, Nelson them two are yeah they're lunatics them too <laughs> but no it was just um just basically he's really happy to have me i can remember meeting him in um in the mountains when we had pre-season just saying he's happy to have me here had you already signed at this stage yeah right, so, so left, backing out. literally done my press conference and then straight to the i thought maybe i can go home get some things he said no no you're straight in the mountains literally right. from the stadium straight into pre-season and what was that like it was good, you know, I had, um, there was Morata, uh, he was there, Costa, who spoke a bit of English, 
so I had that, a couple of people who spoke English who really helped me um, settle in and basically I had that Burgos for, that, for the full six months and it just stood behind me just <laughs> running with me basically when the manager's speaking he's basically shouting to me in English where he wants me to be and it was a good learning curve when you see comments like he shouldn't be going or he's not going to play, it's not right for him, does that derail you a bit or does it do the opposite? No. For me, it was just more everyone's entitled to their own opinion and to play in Spain, to play for Atletico Madrid, and to, to win play for Diego Simeone. And at the time, and I didn't think that at the time, but it was just more, just go and enjoy it, you yeah. know? And what was the big difference between the two football cultures? Well, when we played our first Madrid derby, we had to go outside and I thought it was like it was banter or something, you know. Um, Coke said we have to go outside. So we had to finish our dinner and we had to stand on the balcony and there was about, uh, about just less than 10,000 Atletico Madrid fans. But then there was one main guy on the big tannoy and you had to stand there and just listen to him for a good 10, 15 minutes and then they'll just start setting fireworks off, singing. You have, to, you have to clap them and then yeah go in what did that do for you they were just like different of course and they just like that. basically the guy was just saying to the new signings because there's about four or five of us me Joao at time Hector Herrera a couple of other players you know what it means to play for a Madrid you know you need you need to die for the shirt you need to do this and then obviously someone was translating it to me at the time because I didn't have a clue what he was saying but um, it was just like okay this is different pressure but uh, yeah one that I'm ready for and one of the, I read an interview with Simeone again while we we're doing the prep, and one of the things that he'd said was about moving to England it was something that he hadn't done because he didn't speak the language like he said, and so much of his approach it's and emotion. his success is about emotion yeah. and communication and engaging with people. Yeah, definitely. So how did he do that with you? It's hard to say, really. It was just more from body language, you know, it was sort of certain situations in training. If I didn't do something right, which I knew I didn't, he would let me know through his body language and oh, he would just scream at me in Spanish. <laughs> so I knew I would, I'd done something wrong. Do you know what I mean? So but there's always a translator there where, you know, when I want to, I had a lot of one-to-one -one meetings with him because he, he, he just said to me the first thing, what, what's the one thing you want to improve? I just said my defending. Um, and then literally it was, from then on, it was uh, relentless. Even after training one to one, it was it was good because that's what I wanted to do. I mean, that's really. I mean, there's some famous research on this about how how communication happens. It's often attributed to a guy called Albert Morabian that says that only seven percent of our communication is through what we say. You know, uh, but over ninety three percent of it is communicated through both what we see, but more importantly, how we make people feel, the emotions. So, how would you rate? given that that's what Simeone sort of specialises in, conveying and transferring emotions, how important would you say that is for people listening that maybe as leaders, the transference of emotion in terms of getting your message across and getting people to buy in? Yeah, it's it's so important. And that, so I'll come back to him, we'll come back to the one where he said about emotion. With Simeone, I don't think he could ever manage in England just purely because it, when he was speaking in the dressing room before any game, he was so passionate and the emotion from him was so high. You know, you, you're just like ready to go to war for him. That's why he'd get frustrated by managing England because he couldn't get his message across to the certain individual or the players because it's that emotional. So the, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm asking this question is that when we've sat down with Jordan Henderson and Steven Gerrard before that, they told us examples where managers over here have used techniques like showing them photographs or letters from their family 
Oh, right, yeah. To sort of heighten emotion. And what they've said is it's really quite a tricky balancing act because you don't want to yeah. over-arouse an individual, yeah. but you do want to stimulate them enough to want to go and give that extra. So what would you say that sweet spot that he seems to manage is? I think it, there was quite a few situations when we was going for the title, to be honest with you, and he would just say every time in the morning when he wanted to say hello or good morning to somebody, you weren't allowed to say that. You had to say, like, we, you know, we're champions. The it sounds crazy, but that's no, what it was. well, that's how yeah. you greet each other. Yeah, yeah we're going to be champions. Oh, I love um, every home game, away game, there was there was scarves, and there must have been thousands of them going back years. All um, pictures and videos um, of us back in our youth team and scoring goals or creating assists or photos and. Yeah, that's when you knew in that moment it was real, you know. And there was one moment when we played Valo de Lid away last game of the season to win the league. And he texted me at like, he did this on a lot of times where he just texts you at random times. So he texted me like 11 o'clock at night, half 11, saying basically come downstairs. So I went downstairs and then um, he showed me an interview that I did when I first signed him a press conference. And it was just like, um, what do I want to achieve coming for Atletico Madrid? And I just said, you know, to work with a manager and I want to win La Liga. And he's shown it me, turned it off and then he just walked out. And, do you know what I mean? Those little moments when you think about just it. Just goosebumps actually when you yeah, hear that. Yeah, and you it was just like, that. and I went back to my room thinking, like he didn't even say anything to me, just show me the video of what I said because I wanted to win La Liga and the next day we did. Sean Dice told us that one of like his most treasured memories was when you were out on the field after you beat him Valladolid yeah, and you're celebrating, him, yeah. you phone him up yeah, to yeah, say yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah. How much of that would you have done anyway or how much of it was inspired by that kind of emotional leadership that you've been experiencing? Yeah, because Dice, like, again, like, of course, Eddie Al back in when I was at Burnley, Mark Robbins and all the other coaches have done a lot for me, but the moment where I was playing regular football and where I needed the help and guidance, he was he was there. And he helped me so much and was actually speaking to each other the night before. And yeah, I just gave him a quick FaceTime and I just said, you know, like, thank you for everything that you've done. And yeah, it was just a real good moment for us both, really. It's nice. And I think what is nice about that is that maybe Diego also played an important role in that because he's reminding you throughout your time at that football club. Like, 100%. This yeah. isn't about being here. This is the yeah. journey you've been on. And that's why it was good. He was showing us videos from when I was at Tottenham, Burnley. So it's in your Barnsley. head then, isn't it? It's like... Yeah, it was brilliant, yeah. honestly. And and he always talks about the Luis Suarez moment from when he first signed saying he'll win us the title or last kick of the game. And he did. Let's talk briefly then about the thrill of achievement, right? So Johnny yeah. Wilkinson came on his podcast and said he tried for 20 years to be the world's best rugby player. He achieved it in 2003. How long do you think the thrill lasted for him? I can't tell you. 30 seconds. Wow. And then he was ready to go like, right, what's next? Yeah. You, you win La Liga. You spent your whole career wanting a trophy like that. To go with my youth cup one. <laughs> <laughs> How did it feel? Yeah, just um, an unbelievable feeling. I just really, when I got home, when I went for dinner with my wife the next day, just reflecting on where I've came from, how I've done it, what people have sacrificed to get me in this position, that position that I'm in today. And just people doubt, doubted me. And it just, I didn't go there to prove anybody wrong. It was just, well, I have no regrets in every decision that I make and I always believe in myself. So is it time to talk about Newcastle, do you think? Yeah, yeah. Right, I'm going to read uh, three tweets. Why would Trippier leave Atletico Madrid and go to Newcastle just to play in the Championship? World Cup year and Kieran leaves Madrid Champions League for Newcastle, who will get relegated. Good luck in the Championship. 
When you hear those now, knowing that next season is looking at Champions League, not Championship, how do you feel when you hear those? I just feel I came here to set out what I wanted to do. And when people say those, it's not to prove anybody wrong. It's just, yeah, you know, I belief. And I would go back to before when I said that I have no regrets in every decision that I make. This was the perfect decision for me. And um, there was loads of comments when I first signed there, as you could imagine, you know, different, you know, he came here for money or whatever it may be. But what people don't actually realise is I came here on less money than when I was at Madrid. So, right? yeah, it's true. So you uh, took a pay cut to yeah, come to Newcastle? I come here on less money than what I was on at Madrid. I could have signed a new three-year contract at Madrid. So the obvious question is then, why? Why, why would you take a pay cut? To because I had to come back to England uh, for my family, my children. Um, I was going through a difficult moment um, with other stuff that was going on in personal life as well, which could have sort of affected with the club, etc. But I've got my reasons why I came back. I had a good chats with the manager and I just thought, you know what, why not? I knew there was 19th in the league. I have no regrets, even though I could have been playing the championship. I didn't have no relegation clause. I took less money. I took a gamble. But again, I have no regrets. That's it. <laughs> let's talk about when you first arrived then. Okay. You came in the January. Yeah. And it was like, let's be totally frank, it was touch and go whether this club was going to get relegated at that point. Well, of course. Yeah. Then there was this incredible, like, felt like this sh shift, didn't it? And we spoke with Eddie about it on this podcast. And he just talked about this incredible belief that like washed over the city. Can you give us your sort of emotional recollection of that period when this club was saved as a Premier League football club? Yeah, it certainly weren't my first game against Cambridge when we got knocked out. <laughs> so that was a... What were you thinking then? Yeah, that was tough. I had good chats with the manager about trying to help the players around me in, in a difficult moment. And um, when we got beat by Cambridge, it was just, I'd more be going in the dressing room just saying, forget about it, you know. You know, we got a match against Watford who we played after. We just need to focus on the league, but... The moment when I, it's unfortunate I got injured as well, I was devastated because, yeah, I was trying to help help mm. a club stay in the league, not just me, but the team. But the moment that I realised that we we're probably going to be safe was, I don't know which game, I think maybe the Southampton away maybe. But to be honest, we went on a crazy run and that belief came from the manager and the players that were signed in January, the right characters, which is the most important thing in a team. You need to have the right right characters in the squad. So Tell us more about yeah. that. Go on. You need to have the the right characters who are on the same page to pull in one direction. And the manager's been a big believer in that, the way he wants the club to be run, uh, the way he wants to set his teams up. And you need to have a good dressing room. And, you know, how are people going to handle themselves when they're not in the squad, when they're not playing? For example, you look at Wilson, Alex now, two on-fire strikers. There's no bitterness. There's no complaining. The ball's just ready and... If you have that in your team, that will take you so far. So far. And what about Eddie? Let's go right from when you first spoke to him. Yeah. What did he say to you to sell this football club? Do you know what? He didn't have to say anything to him. I'm not just saying that. He didn't say anything to me to sell it to me. It was just more, he actually came out to Madrid to watch us train. October time, I think, before he, he even found out he was going to get this job. And I was having a few few words when trying to plant the seed. If you ever get a job in England again, you know, I'll come back. And yeah, he took over Newcastle, but... Yeah, the, the changes from now until when I first had him 12 years ago was incredible. Love incredible change. But then we would score four, but would concede two, three goals. And I think it was early years of his management when he was at Burnley. 
and then he went back to Bournemouth. I think for, for me, looking at the manager is when he took the time out, I think when he had to reflect and go and look at how other teams work, how they operate, and you look at him now, he's, he's flying as a manager. And what about his man management? How's that different? Yeah, I think his man management's top because I think uh, back then we, the dressing room that we had in Burnley then was was tough. I think we um, proper old school players, you know, and tough for the for the manager at the time. I think he'll admit that. Um, but looking at him now, is he, he's got players that he trusts. Um, he has good leaders in the dressing room who can handle any situation. If he doesn't need to go to him, we can take that in, indoors. We can deal with it. And um, it's just about the trust and the connection that we have. Who are the leaders then in the in the current Newcastle dressing room? So we have a leadership group meeting. There's me, Dan Byrne, Callum Wilson, obviously Jamal Lascelles and Matt Ritchie. Um, yeah, so we normally have a, like a meeting to see if everything's okay, if everything's, you know, if there's any problems. And it's quite nice, I think, having a, having a group rather than an individual because I think yeah. sometimes it, it's difficult for one person to kind of, that tall poppy syndrome, you're the guy that's always doing those extra bits. Whereas if there's a group of you, I think it provides a bit of sort of psychological safety, doesn't it? To yeah, definitely. Work done. We've all had different experiences, all those players, and that, that, that's always a, an advantage as well. And and it's always good for the manager as well, where if the manager doesn't need to get involved in anything that happens that he doesn't know about, because we can deal with that as the leadership group. And um, yeah, I think it's a, a good balance between the players and the manager. So if we take some of the incidents that you described, like with Pochettino was really hot on timekeeping. Yeah. You've got to be early or Sean Dice is hot on like leaving your ego at the gates, not, not being disrespectful. What are those kind of standards then that you insist on for a good dressing room that you say, these are non-negotiable. We need to have these kind of behaviours firmly understood. I think it's just the demands of, of everyone. And I think that's what we've got here. We, we demand a lot in training, not just myself, all the players. And I think that's grown throughout this season. And positivity as well is key. You know, you need to have a positive group, no negativity or it can be like a domino effect then. So how do you deal with it when somebody is bringing that kind of negative energy to the group? Yeah, it's maybe, you know, uh, me and Jam speak a lot. Um, so obviously he's club captain and, and we speak a lot and, you know, maybe you'll say, oh, do you want to go and speak to him, you know, after training or just have a word of him in a positive way. Because if you go in all guns blazing, it's not going to help anyone. And look, the whole of football is looking at this club now thinking, how can you be in a relegation scrap last season and in the top four yeah. this season? How much has getting through that relegation period with a lot of the same players that are still involved now? Yeah, it's massive. And, yeah, it's massive. And it's gone a lot faster than what I thought. Of course it has. But again, I think the players deserve huge credit and the players that have come in, the way they've the way that they've uh, adapted to the manager's methods, because he demands a lot in training on and off the pitch. So everyone deserves huge credit. It's certainly the players that was there before the takeover, because I think that doesn't get spoken about enough. The players that was there, um, they've done incredible, and obviously that comes from coaching as well. But yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's I, I didn't think we would be pushing this high up in the table so soon. And look, you've you've played at all different levels in more than one country where does and I, this isn't a question about talent this is a question about mentality and self-belief and spirit mm. where does the current Newcastle dressing room sit in that respect compared to all the other dressing rooms you've been in yeah definitely up there certainly because what they've had to overcome before the takeover when there was rock bottom I think on 19th on about seven points 
and then going on staying up and then kicking on again to be third in the league to overcome the hurdles that we have overcome people from the outside they wouldn't be able to keep up the pace still fall off etc etc and the mentally the way they've overcome all those hurdles is, is brilliant and testament to them as well so if you had to apportion like um numbers on this i'm interested in in your experience because i'm as i'm listening to you i'm thinking about all, like something that stands out in all your experiences has been great team spirits when success is achieved that idea of its great team spirit seems to be significant if you had to give me a figure for how significant you think it is as a competitive advantage compared to talent well like what sort of number would you offer i think it's bigger than talent having that team who are all on the same page you want to pull in the right direction who might not be as talented as your opposition i'll take that all day over talent 100% you look at us this season we've competed gone toe to toe with man city at home which is a thrilling game we've gone toe to toe with everyone in the league and i'll take that all day can we talk about the football club as a whole yeah <laughs> It humbles a player, doesn't it? The it size, does. the scale and the passion up here for football. It does. And when people have said that to me in the past or when I've played there against Newcastle, I don't think you realise how big the club is when you play for them. The support all around the city. When people say it's a football city, it certainly is. Yeah, even when I take my kids to school or, yeah, you, you know, they, they say to you, oh, what a good result the other day and next week you're speaking to them for half an hour, you know, and that's how, that's how passionate they are and it's good and... They remind you of the old times as well when they weren't going through a good moment, so they're all just proud. Do you remember the moment when you signed, when you really realised the power of the fans here? Because I think there's very few football clubs in, in the UK, you can probably name three or four, maybe five, where the fans understand their responsibility, where they, they realise that they're standing on the terrace re representing the previous generations and they're going to hand it down to the next generation and they have a genuine part to play. When did you realise the power of the fans here and get that real sense of what they do for this club? Well, on my first game against Cambridge, it was a sellout and like no disrespect to Cambridge. Um, but you don't see that in the Premier League. A Premier League side selling out the stadiums um, on a Wednesday night or whenever it was. But the fans have been incredible since I've been there. You know, you see the the big banners, they have the war flags and the, the atmospheres in there is it's incredible and I can always go back to the one against Arsenal at home last year when it was up there the best atmosphere I've, I've been involved in, for sure. And you know what? I, I actually liken the Newcastle fans to your career. Like, you have to bear with me on this. Like, yeah. dealing with setbacks, yeah. dealing with people doubting you, dealing with criticism, dealing at times with ridicule, having to be challenged and then finally getting the reward you deserve. You know, it's a long time since these fans have lifted a trophy. Yeah. For a long time, there was an owner of this football club who didn't have their best interests at heart and almost seemed from the outside like he didn't realise the value of the fans here. And actually, at the same time that you've arrived here, they're finally getting the rewards for all the years that they carried on spending their money, carried on supporting, carried on cheering, carried on having their hearts broken. And I don't think we can underestimate, actually, that they are genuinely adding to the success that this football club is, is experiencing at the moment. No, definitely. And... They've had to go through tough times, of course they have, but now it's a new journey. Now it's, they can dare to dream, you know. There's a first cup final in so long. Obviously we, we got it, we didn't win, but that's just the start, you know. That's just a stepping stone of where this club wants to go, where it deserves to be. 
And the fans are so valuable, you know, throughout the season when we've been going through a tough moment where we've needed them, they've always been there. They've always reacted to the situation. We go one nil down or we're on top and they've, we certainly value them so highly and well, may that continue, of course. And um, yeah, four, four, four cup finals left. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you'll be fine. Have you allowed yourself to think about Champions League football? You must have started to dream. Yeah, it would be. I'd be silly here to say I've not. I don't want to lie to you. Um, but we shouldn't be scared to say we want to play Champions League football. Um, I know the managers or people have been a bit, we'll take it a game at a time. I, under, yeah, I understand that. But, you know, players like myself want to play Champions League football again. I've had the taste of it for a good number of years. And if we brought that back, back here, I dare to think what it would be like, this city, this club in the Champions League. Do you think that the current squad could deliver on that stage? Yeah, I think we could. I think if we're on the same page and we're pulling in the same direction, that would take you so far and it's so powerful. So listen, I think it'd be a great occasion for the lads to be playing Champions League football. But yeah, let's see what happens. Attitude over ability, right? Definitely. And the poster out or the, the banner out there, mm. we're not here to be popular. Yeah, We're here to compete. What does that say to you? That just says everything about the clubs, the supporters, you know, um, yeah, I just think we'll walk a sleeping giant, if I'm honest with you now. I think um, you look at Villa, you look at Brighton, who now are, who are pushing. Of course, like other teams might have not have done as well this season, but you got to give credit to, I think, us, Villa, Brighton. And it's so competitive, this league. There's no easy game in this league. you got to respect your opposition. And yeah, you're seeing, you're seeing teams now push for the top four, top five now. Time for the quick fire questions. Okay. What are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you need to buy into? Don't be late. Always give 100% in training. And commitment. What's your biggest weakness and your greatest strength? I think my strength is um, communication like, as like a lead, leader, people around me. Weakness, I would say, have a bit more belief, I think, mm. as my weakness. Believe more. What is the thing that people get wrong or misunderstand most about you do you think honest honesty i think i think i'm a very honest person and an honest player and you know I'm, I'm committed what advice would you give to a teenage kieran just starting out always give 100 percent. listen and yeah never you know listen to anybody who says you can't you can't make it or you can't do anything always have that self-belief and your final message for the for the listeners to this who come to these podcasts because they want the kind of lessons and the learnings you've had from your life. What would you like to leave them with? Um, your one golden rule really for living a high performance life. I, I would always say, um, have that belief, have that commitment. Um, if you're ever going through, going through a bad moment, speak up, don't be, don't be scared. And the most important thing, just give absolutely everything, give 110% in every situation that you're in and have no regrets. Lovely. Listen, mate, thank you so much for that. Thank it's you for having me. Fascinating. And I think the most interesting thing for people listening to this is a reminder that from the outside, football looks like one thing, but as yeah. you've just described in very vulnerable, brilliant detail, you know, often it can be something very different. So uh, let's never underestimate the mental strength of the people that do the job that you do. And thanks for talking about it because I think it's, yeah. it's powerful, you know. No, thank you for having me on. It's been really good. Thank you. Damien. Jake. Well, I think in many ways that conversation is exactly what we set out to do, which is to offer the truth behind 
someone's football career and I didn't know almost uh, I don't think I knew any of the things actually that that Kieran revealed to us in that conversation but I found it riveting yeah I think the image that came to my mind was that classic picture of an iceberg where you see the stuff above the surface of the water but it's the size and the depth of the iceberg underneath it that often we miss and don't appreciate and when you think of like you say all the challenges the difficulties the setbacks Kieran's gone through that happen in the shadows underneath the surface his performance is extraordinary in the, in that context. I think that's exactly the point. You have to remember that throughout all of those challenges that he told us about, he was still having to deliver on the pitch. He was still taking Tottenham to a Champions League final. He was still winning La Liga with Atletico Madrid. And I think that is the that is the true challenge that most people don't understand when it comes to elite athletes or anybody in that position is dealing with the hard stuff but still delivering. And I, you know how often people get this podcast wrong and they go, oh yeah, high performance, that's just about people talking about their success. Like that was a conversation really with Kieran about overcoming adversity. That's yeah. high performance. Yeah, and I love, I mean, what really came out to me was that was just that willingness to throw yourself into it and have a go, like mm-hmm. remove excuses because excuses remove the learning and just keep, throw, so the example of his um, transition across to Spain and his view is, well, I just viewed it as an exciting opportunity. I think that is a really key distinction that any of us can learn from. And I really like the fact that he would pick attitude over ability every time. And I think that's a great reminder for people listening to this podcast, that culture is, you don't either have a good or bad culture. You create a good or a bad culture, whether it is Sean Dyche and the strict rules about snoods and gloves and hats, whether it is Maurizio Pochettino making sure that when you shake his hand, you look him in the eye, whether it is Diego Simeone and that amazing story of just showing him a a clip of him saying he wants to win La Liga Atletico and then walking out the room or Eddie Howe getting them to create a senior leadership group here and that leadership group taking Newcastle to the Champions League. All of those are people creating cultures, making specific intentional decisions to take something from where it is to where it should be. And I I think that's a great lesson. Well, that final comment that you made there, Jake, I think is key. It's intentional. And I think when you listen to Kieran, that, that those things are not gimmicks. They're not things that are done because you've seen somebody else do it. You, you've done it because you understand the intent behind it. We, we don't wear snoods because we don't wear them when we're playing. You know, we shake people's hands because it's a sign of respect and we need to respect each other. You know, it, that we play as we train. All those things are intentional and that they're then all put together and that's what creates that culture that he describes, like you say, as the ultimate competitive advantage. I really enjoyed it again. Yeah, it was a real privilege to hear somebody in Kevin's status and position being willing to come and speak so freely. So it, I, I found it a real privilege. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Um, amazing to hear from Kieran Trippier. I only want you to do a couple of things for me. First of all, please reach out. I want to know what you made of this conversation. I want to know the thing that resonated most with you, the thing that you learned from the most. And please, man, just share it by you sharing and subscribing. It means we can grow this channel. The bigger we grow it, the greater the names we can attract and the more impact we can have for you. Thanks for listening and see you soon.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.